0: So, good morning, everyone. Morning. Welcome. Welcome to this podcast episode and keynote speech from Ray McLennan. And we're going to be focusing today on raising angel finance. So, Ray McLennan used to be in the army like myself, and he's a prolific investor, used to be a solicitor. Prolific property and investor. Anything else, Ray? No, that'll do. That'll do. Uh, but he focuses on raising finance. He is the money man. Okay, so get get your questions ready. Ray's got a presentation for you, and then we'll be inviting questions from Ray very shortly. So without any further ado, let's introduce Ray McLennan. Good
1: morning, good morning. Okay. Um, as Kevin so eloquently put it, I was in the, was in the Royal Court of Transport and we were always on time. You said be here for 10, ready for 10, we're ready for 10, ready to go. And what I want to talk about now is raising angel finance for your service to accommodation. I suppose let's just crack on with it So we don't have much time. All right, most common complaints. Would that be fair? Getting funding, a surveyor who understands and refinancing. And then anytime I asked anyone else, it was always just, well, actually it's one, two or three. Tends to be those are the big ones, aren't they, really? Everything else kind of fails into insignificance. Because if you can't get it funded, and a surveyor who undervalues it, and then you can't get it refinanced, you just go around in this horrible circle. And I know this because I know this from bitter experience. Because I do have SE units, which I'll show you later on, as well. So as well as being involved in, in raising finance, I've been out there looking for projects. And the projects I was looking for, so about three years ago, yeah, probably about three years ago. I thought, service accommodation, this is the way to go. This is going to be it. And I'm from Edinburgh. As you can probably tell by my accent is uh, north of the border. So I'm from Edinburgh. And in Ed- Edinburgh, as you may not, may or may not know, is the second best place, apparently, for service accommodation in the UK. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, some yep, yeah, some know, OK. First being London, right? And then Edinburgh next, because Edinburgh has the International Festival, um, but there's also a lot going on in Edinburgh, a hell of a lot going on. It's a very vibrant city. And a lot of people realise quite quickly that, you know, ooh, this service accommodation thing is actually not too bad. Now Edinburgh is, anyone here been to Edinburgh? Yep. Okay. So it's tenement buildings. Now I was talking to someone in the community, and they went, what's a tenement? What is a tenement building? A tenement building is just a block of flats that was kind of built by the Victorians. They're brilliant, brilliant buildings. They're stone-built buildings. They've got quite a large gap between the flats. They're maybe four or five tall. And they've got dampening in them You know, with ash dampening. So they're very, very well soundproofed. And they're very substantial buildings. Now, with a lot of these buildings, what they have is a roof space. And the roof space is huge. And in Scotland with the title, if you buy a top flat, you automatically own the roof space. So what we started doing was buying top flats and then you get an additional 40 or 50% of space above you. So we'd put a staircase in, go for planning, put a staircase in and then build a couple of rooms up there. Perfect. So we started doing that. And I thought, this is great because you can buy one at a couple of hundred thousand, then top floor flat, two beds, maybe 190,000. You can spend seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 doing it up. There's a lot of steel work involved and stairs and so on and planning and costs. But then at the end of it, the value is about 350. And that's a heck of an uplift. That's not bad at all. So you've got that capital growth immediately. And then you can do service accommodation. Anyway, right in the middle of one of these, huge article right across the, the local newspaper that the council were going to clamp down on service accommodation. There was just too many people doing it. There weren't enough flats to rent. And the, you know, what aboutery? Something should be done. And the council decided something was going to be done, and no one else was going to get permission to have service accommodation. So naturally, most entrepreneurs just went, yeah, OK, and ignored it. Eh? <laughs> However, those were the ones who had not received any kind of education. I had been receiving service accommodation education and I thought, no, don't ignore it because it will only come and bite you later, okay? So I spoke to the council. In fact, there is a, if you go onto one of my Facebook pages, I don't know which one it's on, but in if you're in Facebook, I don't think it's in the service accommodation bit, but in Facebook, there's a video of me going to the planning department. So I'm doing this, right, right here I am outside the planning department. I'm going in to have a word with them, right? And I went in and had a word. And... I said to them, well, look, what's, what are you going to do? What's going to happen over the course of the years? And of course, typical council. what do they say? We don't <laughs> right? We don't really know. But you're in charge of service accommodation. Yes, I am. But you do, we don't know. We don't know what's happening. There's going to be some elections coming up, and a new guy that comes in might... Ch- Basically, that's what he said. Now, I didn't record this because they wouldn't let me. But that was the gist of what they said. Anyway, I then spoke to an architect who was affiliated to the council. And he said, I think I know what's going to happen. They're going to say no more new units. They're going to refuse permission for anyone that wants to do it. Anyone that's doing it without permission is going to be closed down or forced to close down. And then the only service department units they're going to have is if in a tenement block, it's either all or nothing. There might be 9 or 12 flats in a stair, in a close as we call it. There might be 9 or 10 flats. If there's one in there its service departments, they get the slightest hint that there's anything wrong, like a stag party or something like that. They will close it down, and then it's either everyone in the building decides to be serviced apartments or no one at all. So I thought, right, OK, so instead of building top flats, we're going to have to buy, buy all the flats that become available. That's going to be impossible. So what should we do? We should start looking around for, I suppose, opportunities where we can have the whole building, rather than going for one, for one, for one, for one. So that was the kind of approach I decided to take. And I'll show you an example uh, later on, on how that and how that worked. But as it came to pass, so what we did was uh, with that unit, uh, instead of doing service accommodation, I thought, well, it'd be an HMO. Could rent it out as an HMO. That would be That would be fabulous. So I went to the council, did the whole planning for an HMO because it was very close to the university, stacked up well, put in an application, and, Anyone here dealt with a council over applications for HMOs and that sort of thing? It's tedious, isn't it? Horrendous. It's never simple. Nobody seems to know what's going on. You get conflicting evidence from here, there, and everywhere. And it just became a bit of a pain in the neck. But during that time, I got approached. The builder who was doing it said, look, I've got somebody who wants to buy a flat for his kids in town. Would you sell it? And I jokingly said, well, I would sell it. Quoted a price. He went away. came back. He said, OK, I'll pay the price. So I ended up selling it. Because it just, you know, administratively, all these hoops you have to jump. It just wasn't worth it. So I found out how to fund blocks without the rejection. That's a picture of me being rejected. Okay? <laughs> Not a great fan of rejection, but that's a picture of me being rejected. So if you've ever tried to go down the route doing it properly, okay, you will find that you will get this rejection word quite a bit. Are you experiencing that? Not really. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. The feedback I'm getting is a lot of people saying to me, "Well, it's quite hard to get these funded because no one seems to understand them." Now it is changing. A lot more funders out there are starting to get to grips with it. But their default position will always be no, if they don't understand it. That's been my experience. Their default position is to say to say no. But there are ones that will say yes, and there are ways of making them say yes. Okay. So I can show you how to fund it, and more importantly, to get the valuers on your side. Okay. And that is by finding valuers that understand this. And I will give you, it'll either go on the podcast or I'll give you later on, a name and number of two independent valuers, one of them with Collier's, the other one was with Savills, but has since left to set up his own business because he's finding it a hell of a lot more profitable to focus on service accommodation and be self-employed than it is to be with Savills. But he's he's fully RICS qualified and he's on panels here, there and everywhere and all the rest of it. So um, let's have a look at some of the things that we do, because it's all very well me standing here, but are we actually doing anything? Well, yes, we are. We've got there's a portfolio deal closed. That was a service apartment portfolio deal. We've got people there that can do 80% loan to value or 90% loan to cost if you decided that you wanted to build a block or you want to take over a block. And uh, there's a text message I got there following the end of due diligence. I've got three offers on your last deal. Which one do you want to do? Some deals that we've done already, there we are, 6 million, 1.4, 1.65 finance and refurb, uh, and then some short term lending. So, you know, we think we can help. Now, when it says raising angel finance, it also means raising alternative funding. So, RAF, raising angel finance, raising alternative funding. Sorry, Gary, with the RAF acronym, but uh, <laughs> that's fine, that's okay. Okay, so um, why is this important? Well, um, knowing what's important to a lender or a potential JV partner is crucial. Knowing what you want to do, explaining what it is you want to do. Because once you all get it, you get the cash flow element of it, don't you? Yeah, you do. Hopefully you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You get the cap- potential capital growth as well. Yeah, But it does come requiring a little bit more work. Would that be fair? That would be fair. Some are going, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it does require a little bit more work. But like anything else, what it's doing—that element of work—is repelling people, because I've spoken to some people and they're like, "Oh, you know, they've just the, the hand goes like this immediately <coughs> to the forehead. They're like, oh, it's just too much work. Service, accommodation—I just can't. Oh. Right? Well, of course it is. If you anything that's worth having, is going to be a little bit hard work. But once you get into it, and once you get the the hat into the good habits of what you're doing, and you're here and you're learning, which is brilliant, then it is a lot easier. So people that are outside looking in and going, oh, God, they, they look at the money element. They think, that's fantastic. But then you've got the work element, which then they go, oh, I can't be bothered with that. I'd just rather do an HMO, or oh, it's too much for me, or something like that. But then once you have your portfolio up and running and you make it and the cash flow is coming in and you're not actually doing anything, guess what people will call you? Great. Lucky. <laughs> lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a few years' time, they're going to be saying, oh, Kevin, you were lucky. You got in at the right time. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You were lucky. Mm, indeed. Okay, so like anything, there's a an easy way and there's a hard way. Yeah? So I want to show you the easy way rather than the hard way. Because the hard way, anyone can find the hard way, can't you? Anyone can go and speak to someone and they'll tell you no. Anyone can anyone can do that. And the majority of people that are out there looking and looking in and thinking about it, they're they're going the hard way. But you've invested in your time, you've invested your money, and you want to learn the easy way. Would that be fair? It would be fair. Okay, okay. So there's the hard way. Banks! Exclamation mark. Brokers who don't know service accommodation and valuers who don't understand service accommodation. Would you agree? Good. And there's the easy way. Get a valuation, talk to a broker who knows service accommodation, and have an exit. Now by an exit, what I mean is, you may have to finance something until you're up and running, you've got the cash flow coming in, and then you can refinance after. That's what I mean by your exit. If you have that in advance, it makes it so much easier to get the first part. So much easier to get the first part. So let me tell you a wee bit about our project. That be okay? Yeah, Yeah, all right. So a 14,000 square foot former hotel. Now here's the reason I'm going after that is why. Because what I mentioned to you earlier on, Edinburgh Council decided they were going to clamp down. It was either all or nothing, wasn't it? It was all or nothing. Aha. The aha moment there, I remember that, yeah. It was all or nothing. So I thought, well, why not go after, because there's quite a lot of guest houses, hotels, that sort of thing that are all tired, aren't there? Anyone here had experience of that with guest houses and guest house owners? Yeah. Some of them want to sell, some of them don't, some of them have an overinflated opinion of the value. Yeah. Some of them have their own inflated opinion of themselves. Um, and if, if you're like me, I've got, anything like me, I've gone to places and I've spoken to the, the vendors. It's, it's either for sale or it's maybe not for sale. It doesn't matter to me. But if it's for sale, I'll go and see them and say, right, I believe you've got a guest house for sale. Yeah, oh yeah, we've been here 25 years. And you, you're looking around going, yeah, bloody looks like it as well. the <laughs> you know, carpets are worn. You know, the, you, you know what I mean, the sticky carpets, the, that, that particular smell. That only a 25-year-old guest house seems to have. Yep, I know you're laughing. It's true though. Um, and then the owners who are always wanting to retire, and this was their big moment. This is their big exit, and they have an overinflated opinion because they'll say, at least the ones I've met will say, "Well, of course there's the bricks and mortar valuation, but there's the business. There's the business valuation, and therefore bricks and mortar it might be four hundred thousand, but you know we've got it on the market six fifty or something. You know something ridiculous." And you sort of have to bring them down to earth kind of gently. And they'll say, Oh, but you know, you, you, we've been trading for a long time. OK, you've been trading for a long time, but you're not actually making any money. Ah, well, we don't put everything through the books. You know, there's, <laughs> sometimes we get cash. All right, OK. So they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot. And there was one guest house owner I went to see, and I was talking with him, and I said, Look, your accounts don't stack up. Yeah, I know, but it, it's a great business, a great cash business. I said, Right, OK. I said. Why don't you just convert this into service accommodation? Or why don't you let us manage the building? You own the building. You keep the building. We'll manage it for you. And you'll still get a turn out of it. No, no, I I want to sell the building. I want to retire. Like, you're 55. He says, yeah, but I want to retire. I want to cash in. So you're cashing in, you want to sell the building, and it's 500 grand you want. Yeah. I said, and what are you going to do with the 500,000? Well, that's my retirement. Right, 500 grand. You're 55. uh Uh-huh. So I said, are you going to invest that money? Yes, we're buying a bungalow. And how much are you buying the bungalow for? Three fifty, dollars Right, so $500,000, you're buying a bungalow for three fifty. dollars What are you going to do with the money that's left? Well, we'll put it in the bank, but we're going on a holiday. We've, we've not been on a holiday for years because we've been working in this guest house. I said to him, right, this is about two years ago. I said, what's going to happen here is you're going to get a smack in the face of reality. Because that money is going to go quick. And I'll tell you why it's going to go quick. Because you've been in a guest house for 25 years. What happens in a guest house? People come to stay. Right? They don't always go through Booking.com or anything like that because these are old school. Okay? People knock on the door, they come to the door. They'll say, here's my money, there's my cash. He takes the cash, puts it in his pocket, maybe gives them a the receipt. Then he'll go to ASDA to get the bacon and eggs for the breakfast. And he'll spend 30, 40, 50 quid in ASDA. And he'll put the receipt through the books, but he may not have put the income through the books. Do you see what I mean? Yeah? And that guest house effectively became their ATM machine. They wouldn't have any cash, but they wouldn't go to the ATM machine because someone was coming that night and they were going to pay in cash. And they get used to that over the years. And then when it stops and they're going to the ATM machine, all they're doing now is emptying the glass. They're not filling the glass anymore. And I tried to tell him this. But he wouldn't understand. He just focused on getting this five hundred thousand. That's what I want to get, and I want to get out. And I kept saying it'll be much better for you if you do it this way. No, no, I want the money. I'm cashing in, and I'm get want to get out. This- My wife's had enough. Now yeah, you've probably heard that as well. Usually when I deal with the man, it's that's the wife's had enough. She's fed up with this business. Doesn't want to do it anymore. Fed up with people walking through her house. And that's why she wants to get this this house out there so that we can we can be out there. Well, guess what happened. He sold, yeah? I spoke to someone. We were in, uh, this is in Edinburgh. We moved from Edinburgh down, down here now. We're living sort of roundabout Peterborough now. And we were up there. And I met a friend of theirs. And I said, how's it going? I didn't need a crystal ball to know. Oh, they think they made the biggest mistake of their life. Do you know what that is?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is it? What from friends, isn't it? I think it's from Friends. They told you so dance. <laughs> I was doing this someone the other day. He went, what on earth are you doing? And i went, you don't watch Friends then? <laughs> so for those in the podcast, I've got my hands out in front of me and I'm like moving, gyrating around. But anyway, yeah. but you know, there you go. And it's just sort of, oh, oh. Anyway, so I thought, well, okay, we can't go down that route. The route we will go down then is, because I can raise angel finance, is to purchase something. So there we are, a 14,000 square foot formal hotel, 30 rooms, very tired. You know the type, you've probably seen them before, you know, railway hotel. You know the one, and it's got the working man's pub. And there's usually a bunch of guys standing outside, you know, giving it this and that. And they're away back in for their pint. And that's only midday or something, right? And then you go in and the reception area is the sort of, you know, the reception area. It's got papers all over the place with notices and stuff like that. There's never anyone around. You ding the bell, nobody comes. You're like, hello, hello, hello. And eventually, the chef will come through, and he's all kind of dirty and greased up. Oh, yeah, I'll just get someone for you. you know. And then, anyway, it's that kind of thing. And the rooms you know, hadn't been done since the 80s. How did I know they hadn't been done since the 80s? Hey, Avocado <laughs> bathroom suite. <laughs> Orange was a big colour there wasn't it? But do you remember the avocado bathroom suite? They were all the rage. Everyone was putting them in. Avocado bathroom suite. And one of them had a chocolate brown bathroom suite. I mean, what is that all about? But anyway, yeah, they had the old pub. They had the dining room. And I had a valuation of seven fifty. dollars It was actually on the market for $8.99. $8.99. Guy couldn't sell it. No, not a chance. And it was on the market for $8.99. And... It was somebody who contacted me and said, Well, you know about, you know, you've got people that will buy a property. What about this? So I approached the owner and said, You know, you're not going to get that for it. I'll, I'll try and get it for it if you want, but re- realistically, you're not going to get it. Why not? I said, Well, why not? Because look, it needs, it's going to need half a million to convert it. It's just, no, it's just not going to work. It doesn't stack up at that. He said, Well, what does it stack up at? So I said, it Probably stacks up at 550. Oh, there's no way I'm taking 550. Right? Not a chance. Never. No how, no way, no how, no how. Right? Anyway, fair enough. Well, look, the offer will be there. I'll go and see what I can do, but let's just leave it. Anyway, the owner had it leased out. The property was was leased out to an operator. An operator, then here's the sign. An operator who, in early December, a couple of years ago, the credit card machines weren't working. Cash only. Could you nip across, there's an ATM next door and across the street, could you just, sorry, but the machines, they're down. That's a sign. That's a sign. And then in February, so machines down. Then in February, in Edinburgh, we have the Six Nations. So the hotel would be full of rugby guys coming in. But again, oh, machines not working. Could you pay cash? Now, this was the staff not the person who was the leaseholder, and not the owner. The staff were doing this. Why were the staff doing this? Because they hadn't been paid. All the signs, okay? And then eventually, the rent wasn't paid, then something else wasn't paid, and then it all just imploded. And then the owner came in and went, what the heck's going on? And guess what? The guy who had the lease disappeared. He had two hotels and just disappeared, just left. And the staff that were in there, because we didn't know this at the time, He said to me, Look, do you want to take this over? And we're like, It's a disaster. We'll take it over at the right price. Would you want to take it over now? So, well, let's see. So, we went in and had a word with the woman behind the reception and said, um, You know, there's a lot of these guys staying. You know, we'd we'd like to see if you're going to stay here for the next couple of weeks to see. Yeah, no problem. She says, I'm just going for my lunch. She put her jacket on, went out, never came back. The reason she never came back is she'd just taken £4,000 in cash from the rugby guys and she put that in her pocket and disappeared. So, as you can imagine, this was a car crash. Anyway, the upside was there was a deal to be done, okay? There was carnage, the owner just wanted rid of it, he was just had enough, and he just said, look, I've had enough of this, and we had been on the lookout for blocks, so we suddenly thought, well, actually, maybe this could be it, maybe this could be it, but before we get involved, let's do a little bit of diligence let's check and find out what the local market is. We did all of that. We actually brought in a couple of SA guys who were doing SA in the area who were doing quite well. we bought a guest house. And they had said, yep, a lot of potential here. Now, I didn't want to run it. So I said, well, why don't you guys run it? Why don't you take a deal with me to run it? You know, we'll buy it. You run it. And, and that way I can carry on doing what I do. And I'm not, you know, you can get on with it, do the whole thing. Perfect. So a whole script was put together. We came up with a plan. I went out, spoke to one angel investor who put up the money for a 10% return. And then we had it. That was it. We were in. So there was no planning needed. There was just a warrant. So planning was not required. This was a refurbishment So we were going to call it serviced rooms rather than serviced apartments. And the reason we're doing this is because if we're going to make serviced apartments start knocking down walls and all the rest of it, then you're into planning and then it becomes a whole new can of worms. We got in, and again, this is part of education, a capital allowances guy. Capital allowances guy came in, looked around, did everything, gave us a report. So we purchased it for how much? Guess how much capital allowances? Five hundred
0: and thirty-eight thousand.
1: Nice. So I've done the told you so dance and back of the net. Right, okay. We rented out the ground floor on a forty thousand a year rent. We gave them three years rent free. Okay? Three years rent free. Because they were spending that amount of money on upgrading. Okay. Now I don't think they've quite spent that that much. That's what they told us they spent. And you can see it when you look around. I mean, there's a before and after. I mean, I do have a before and after picture that will come up from the outside, but internally, before and after, it was quite a difference. It was a wow, this is great. That restaurant is now doing 14,000 a week. So it's doing okay. And uh, we then got a quote of 750,000 to refurbish the building. Okay. to re- Now, I'm talking here as if this is all done and dusted. It's not. We're right in the word done and dusted. Yeah. It was right in the middle of it all. So in order to make this work and make this stack up, to get an exit, because we kind of did things round the wrong way here, okay? I didn't really go for what I've said to you, do all this. I didn't do that. I've learned from that mistake. Mistake, but we didn't really do it that way. So the valuation we had was how much? Some people are listening, good, okay. 750, the valuation. From a RICS valuer who specializes in hotels and that sort of thing. Okay. So we're going to spend 750 doing it up. So 750 plus 50 plus fees, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So about 1.5, All right? About 1.5. So the valuation we needed would be what? What would be a great valuation? Two. Two, right? Yeah. Two, something like that would be quite good. I thought, well, that would be good. We had the figures in. Because we're talking about 30-odd rooms. okay? What's the figures for that? Well, you do the math, as they say in America. Quite good. okay? The occupancy level in the areas, quite good. So we had a, a brilliant middle and then not so good. So I think we had 80% occupancy, 70% occupancy, and 50, something like that. okay? And if it stacked up at 50, that was great. And it did stack up at 50. So I looked around for um, someone to value this and found a guy who, was a, who is a valuer. That's what he does, he values service accommodations, he understands the market. So I said to him, I want you to give us a valuation on that, no problem, Rick's valuation, absolutely fine, that's great. I said, look, I've got figures here. And he went, put it away, put it away, don't want to look at the figures, put it away, I'll do my own figures. I said, why? He said, because these guys who want to do service accommodation for you, he said, they will inflate the figures. They'll inflate them to make it look good, because they want to get you to give them the job. And they're going to see how competent they are and how they can utilize Airbnb and Booking.com and all the sites. He said, so put it away. I'm going to do this myself. I'm doing my own diligence. I said, that's fine. You do that. That's great. So without trying to influence him in any way, shape, or form, because I thought to myself, just looking at it, it stacks up at 2, 2.2. So if we get 2, 2.2, job's a good one. Okay? So he went away for a couple of weeks, and came back. He had lots of questions, and then he went away and he came back and back and back. Asked to see you know all the bits and pieces. We created a Dropbox folder for him, gave him all the information, and then said, "I do not want to pay up front, no, yeah. because he hadn't dealt with us before. But that's fair enough. Your fees up front, all the rest of it. Um, who'd like to see the valuation? Yeah. Anybody have any ideas what it might be?
0: Right. <laughs>
1: that can also be. (laughs) Because if you look at the loan to value when it's finished, 65% of that is 1.9. So we could conceivably, that's what we could get. So how much what? 3 million. And the indicative value stabilized 3.3. Now, what he means by that is after six months trading. Now, he did all his own figures. We did not influence him in any way, shape, or form. And I'm quite happy for that, actually. But his figures came out better than the guys who were wanting to do the gig. And he's an expert in that area and knows all about it, looked at the percentages, all the rest of it, came up with the figures, um, and we just let him get on with it. So. The life of a service accommodation person is very like the life of an entrepreneur, isn't it? Well, you are. Are you all entrepreneurs? Yeah, you are. Entrepreneur. That word entrepreneur is even interesting. My dad was a businessman. He did business. There are no businessmen anymore. They seem to be entrepreneurs. I mean, I don't know. What's the French word for entrepreneur? (laughs) Businessman. (laughs) Businessman. My dad was a businessman. He was involved in hotels and pubs and cafes and ice cream vans and all sorts of things and property development and that sort of thing. He was very much self-employed his whole life. But when you asked him what he did, he said, I'm a businessman. I do business. But now it's entrepreneur because it sounds more windswept and interesting. But all it is, is business, isn't it, really? It's just, you know, it's business. And the business happens to be the business of service accommodation. Fair enough. But the life of an entrepreneur is like this. And you probably experience exactly the same. Yeah? I'm excited. It's hard. I messed up. I think I've gone bankrupt. Oh, my god. I suck. Wait a minute. My life is great. And that is pretty much any project I've ever been involved in, and I'm still involved in, all seem to follow that pattern, mentally anyway. All the other bits and pieces in there, but there you go. Okay, is that fair enough? yeah ain't that the truth ain't that the truth right okay so who is lending let's look at some of the people that are lending now you don't need to take a note of this because this changes okay i'll show you a list of people that do these things but it does change from time to time you'll be able to get a hold of me through kevin or on the podcast and i'm I'm, you know i'm active in the community and uh, i have a website which has a an application form page so what what you would do is although i'm going to show you who's lending and i'll show you a few examples and amounts and things And when it comes to your project, the best way for us to manage it is by going to the website, which is raisingangelfinance.co.uk forward slash application form. It will be right there front and center application form. So when you go there, it's just a very simple form. And you fill it in. And that's the easiest way for us to manage your application. Okay? So please try and resist sending me WhatsApp messages. Please try and resist contacting me through Facebook please try and resist emailing, phoning, carrier pigeon, turning up at my door, pigeonholing me at events. Because the easiest way to manage any project is to get this form down on paper, and then it goes into our our system. And we can manage it from there. Would that be okay? So I almost want to get you to put your right hand up and say, I I do solemnly swear that I will only contact you through the application form. Everyone after me, I do solemnly swear that the only... Don't shake your head. You're going, no, I'm not doing that. That the only way I will contact you will be through the application form. Is that understood? Yes. Thank you. Okay. But there'll be still one or two who will decide that you're a special case. And this is a special project. And it's not like any of the others. It has to be done this way. So who is lending, right? So we deal with a lot of people. So it's it's, raising angel finance is also raising alternative funding. Now, if you listen to the podcast, did I tell you I had a podcast? Did I mention the podcast? No? Just Just once or twice. Okay, I do have a podcast. It's called, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called. What's my podcast called? No, it's not called Raising Angel Finance. It's how to raise money. Yeah. How to Raise Money, you can get it on uh, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, all the rest of it. You can see, you know, if you just go How to Raise Money podcast, don't search under my name. okay? because for some reason they don't come up under my name yet. I'm not as big and windswept and famous as any of the others. But I do a podcast with Nigel Best. okay? and we've got five star reviews right across the board, which I'm very, very happy with. And we started the podcast in April. We're now at about, well, we've got 50 episodes, but about 34, 35 are actually live. The rest are kind of in the bank. They get released once a week, and then there's bonus sessions to get released and so on. And yeah, it's just all sorts of information in there about raising finance and so on. Because raising finance from individuals or from lenders, it ebbs and flows. Like all of us, their bank accounts are full and then they're empty, they get money in and then they, they want to get it straight out again. They want it to be working for them all the time. So I have investors who, you know, you might, I might speak to someone on a Monday and he says, I've got a million quid. I want to get it out. I want 10%. I've got a million pounds. Get me something. I can phone him on the Wednesday and say, I've got something for you. And he's like, I've oh, spent it. It's gone. Okay. Likewise, I can phone him on the Thursday and he'll say, I've got another bunch of money or whatever. So it's always ebbing and flowing, and lenders are the same. Now, what lenders are doing is they go out to the wholesale market to borrow money. So they will go out to the wholesale market to borrow maybe 200 million, 250 million, at two or three percent, and then they want to try and get that out as quickly as they possibly can. Okay? So once that that has gone out or has been pledged, they have no more money until they get the next tranche in. Now, anyone here heard of the funding circle? Yeah. Funding Circle are a unicorn company. They're huge. But the Funding Circle, a couple of years ago, were very heavily active in property. And then suddenly they stopped doing property. Now, we knew about six months before they announced to the world that they were not doing property, that they were stopping, yet they were still taking applications. Now, there's a lot of businesses like that, and that's why there's a lot of rejection out there. It's because you can put an application in and you get that, oh, yes, yes, this is fine. Yep, we'll we'll deal with this, no problem. And it goes down and down and down. And then they'll turn in and go, I'm sorry, we can't do it. It's because they're taking applications, but they haven't got the cash there and then. They're waiting on it coming in from the wholesale market or deals that are closing and coming in. Anyone here heard of a deal that didn't close in time? Ain't that the truth, yeah? There's a lot at the moment that are kind of held up. And they're held up for a variety of reasons. Legals hold them up. New anti-money laundering regulations hold them up, transfer regulations hold them up. Sometimes money is held in an offshore account and it can't be brought in, and all of that kind of carry on. So anything can go wrong and delay a project. Okay. Anything, and it usually does. Okay. So lenders ebb and flow. So I'll show you a list here, but next week it will be completely different in the week after and the week after. But these are the guys that are most consistent. So we've got West Street Capital. Uh, now I have to declare an interest here, Matt. Lindsay and I used to work together in Property Angels Den, and we are now together in West Street Capital. Now, if you go and Google West Street Capital, you'll see it has a market capitalization of $6 billion. Okay, That is not us. That's West Street Capital, New York. Just to be absolutely clear on that. Okay, Goldman Sachs owned that company. That's not me. Okay? because I did have a couple of people that came up to me looking at me in that kind of way, you know, that kind of, you, you, you never told us. And I'm like, yeah, punch me. And I'm like, genuinely, it took about 20 minutes to actually find out because you know what this money's like, you know, people don't want to talk about it. And of course they were like, oh, you kept that quiet. And I'm like, <laughs> what is it I've kept quiet? Oh, don't be silly, you know. And we had this kind of dance around the handbags of this. And I'm like, what is it? What do you think I've got? Well, look, you've got to capitalize it. I went, what? <laughs> Much as I was delighted, that is not me. So to make that absolutely clear, okay? Now, the one thing about, you've probably heard the whole thing about uh, Uber, Airbnb, Facebook, Twitter, okay? Uber doesn't have any taxis. Airbnb doesn't own any property, Facebook doesn't do any content, okay? We don't have any money.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, be absolutely clear on that. We do not have any money. It is not my money I will be lending. It's OPM, who want OPT, okay. other people's time, that's it. They want to sit back, lend money, and they want you to do all the work. And they'll charge you for the privilege, okay? That's what they want to do. So. Matt and I will facilitate that in the best way that we can. Is that absolutely clear? Yeah, because again, I do get people who contact me and think it's my money and it's my decision. And like, well, why, what's wrong with us? Don't you like us? And I'm like, it's nothing to do with you. It's not my money. Oh, but I thought, you know, well, doesn't matter what you thought, right? Sooner or later, I mean, if I, I'll be honest with you, if I started here with 20 million quid, it could be gone in a week, quite easily. Gone in a week, be out there working in a week. So you have to go for other people's money. You have to go for the big lenders. Because if you look at this collective community, if you added up the amount of money in this collective community people borrowed, it's billions. Okay? That's the one great thing about this community it's making a difference. This whole recession and this house building thing and all this of is going to be solved by people like you in this room, one house at a time. Not by doing 30 or 300, which is great and makes the news and looks brilliant. But it's the ones and the twos that are going to add up collectively that are going to make a change. So don't ever undervalue what it is that you're doing. You're doing a very, very good thing. And there are people out there that want to lend you money. Okay? You just got to know who they are, the right ones. Now, that's B.I.G. It's not big. B.I.G. He will do joint ventures. Okay. There are certain rules and regulations around that and, and criteria, and we know what they are, but he will do joint ventures. Um, there's a company called Bench. They will do joint ventures. Really nice guy. These are all nice guys. All nice guys that I know quite well. Um, then there's a company here, uh, Elysium. They can do, in some cases, 100%, but generally they'll always look for at least 10%. If you can get 10% from somewhere, they will do it. If you can't get 10%, I have other guys who can probably step in. But then it starts to get a little bit expensive when you start to do the funding stack, okay? So you might be able to hear people say borrowing money at 3%, 4%. Okay, that might be 60%. Well, what about the other 40 What if you haven't got any money? That's when it starts to get a little bit pricier. So you may get 60% of the money at 4%. And then you might get another 30% of the money at 8%. But that 10% of the money might cost you 15%. Okay, Very very important that you understand that. And then there there are pension funds out there. You've probably all heard of SAS funds, have you? Yeah? You all aware of the difference between a SAS and a SIP? Good. You should also be out there looking for your own JV partners. I'm sure you've been told that. I'm sure that's been drilled into you. Go and speak to people, let them know what you're doing, you know, make them aware because those personal relationships are the thing that will make a difference. Okay? And one of the brilliant sources of income is if you go to people and say, uh, do you have a pension? And they're like, oh, well, I'm not quite sure if I do or don't. Well, go find out if you have a pension and find out what the transfer value is. What is the transfer value of your pension? And they'll look at you and go, I have no idea. Now, I've lost count of the number of people that I've asked this question to, and they've gone off and they've come back with that. Oh, my God. OMG. I've got 900 grand in my pension, the transfer value, or 1.2 or 600,000 or 300,000 or whatever it is. Now, some people might say, well, that's not enough. But you can get together with other people that have a SaaS and you can create a pool that can be managed by a trustee. And that's a very, very good, cheap way of raising money. We had a guy came to us looking for, and in fact it was 900,000, for a property project he wanted to do. As part of the sort of checklist, I'll always say, well, how much money have you got? It's like, well, I haven't got any. I've paid fees, I've paid this, that, the next thing, but I don't really have anything to put into it. Have you got a pension? "Mm, I think so. Go away and find out the transfer value. Came back, 1.2 million. He was an engineer, worked in the oil industry. 1.2 million. Now, it took about three months to get this through, but he changed it into a SaaS. He got trustees involved, which is fine, as you, as you can do. Paid fees, four or 5,000, I think it was. But then he loaned his company. He's a sole director shareholder of a company over here. His pension over here lends that company 900,000 at 2% a year. Didn't need us. So we will always try and look for that, you know, that angle. Rather than me saying to you, well, actually, yeah, okay, here's a deal, and then you know you pay me a fee or you pay us a fee, well, you know, we try and look and see, well, what's best for you rather than the other way around? Now, talking of fees, we charge a fee of 2%. So for any amount of money that's raised for you, it's 2%. Now, if there's a broker involved and he charges a fee as well, we don't add that on top. We would split that with the broker. Okay? So you'll only ever pay a 2% fee. He might get half, I might get half, or however we split it up is entirely up to us. But you know you're not going to be overcharged for it and that is our fee for doing this kind of work and that's one of the reasons why i'm standing here talking to you today because i'm hoping at some point you'll engage with me and that's where we will learn our money okay and then we have new angel investors that come in all the time with various amounts so as a result of the podcast i mention a podcast today yeah, as a result of the podcast there are people that contact me and say hi I listen to your podcast great you do pre-screening of all these deals, that's fantastic. I'm looking to invest. You know, can I invest through you? Or can you put deals to me? And I'll say, yes, I can. And and, and every month we get people coming up. At, at events like this, I'll always usually get someone that comes up and says, you know, I've got, got a bit of money and I didn't really know what to do. You know, would it be okay if? And then we get we engage in a dialogue. Okay, there we go. 30 seconds early.
0: Okay, thanks, Ray. Can you just explain um, for the audience the difference between SIP and SAS before we uh, ask for questions (laughs) from the audience? No. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, there's a self-invested pension scheme and then there's a self-administered pension scheme. The difference basically being that with a SAS, you can invest in property, ideally commercial property. You can do residential and you can invest in companies that do residential property. But for a SAS, SASs are good for you guys because you are commercial. If you're doing service departments, that effectively is not residential, it's commercial, it's a commercial business. So it should be a massive source of of income for you. And I've got lots of contacts out there that deal with SAS's, and they're always looking for projects. They're not the kind of people where you can just say, here's a project. They want to get to know you. They want to get to know what you're doing, what you're up to. Now on that point, actually, that's a very good thing. I didn't mention when it came to banks is don't underestimate the banks as a source of income because they are dead keen to get back into the game. They're keen to be seen to be getting back into the game, but the challenge they've got is with know your client. So if you just turn up at a bank and go, hi, I want to borrow money, they'll say no. Even if you had an account with them for 20 years, they'll say no. But if you inform them of what you're doing and if you send them information, find out who your development manager is, find out his name, pester him and send him stuff. Say, I'm looking at doing this, I'm looking at doing that, or I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and send him information. Get to the point where he tells you to stop sending him stuff, okay? (laughs) Then you know you're on the right track. And then keep sending him stuff. Because what will happen with the banks is very interesting, is the manager in the bank will be getting all your stuff. He'll be putting it into a folder and that'll be building up a profile of you. And they'll be seeing that you're active. No one else will be doing this, okay? because you'll stand out. Then the regional manager will come to the branch and say, right, we've got a couple hundred million to invest. Get out there and find some clients that want to borrow money. You'll be at the top of his list or on his top 10 anyway. And I've had people now that say, God, you won't believe this stuff works. I'll be interviewing some of them on the podcast. This stuff works. The bank actually called me up and asked if I want to borrow any money. Well, of course I do. Well, I don't, but I'm bloody going to find something, you know. (laughs) Because the rates are 4% or 35 or something. you know, um, And that's a great source of income. Because if you can come to me and say, I've got 60% of the money from a bank at 3%, what does that say to an angel investor? He's over here and they're going, OK, well, if the bank said yes, the bank have done what? They've done their due diligence. The bank know you. That's tick, 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 tick. So you just need the top up from me. Excellent. Whereas if you go the other way around and then say, well, we need some money from you, and then we'll go out and get it, then they're not so keen. It's just easier to do it the other way around, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, fantastic. Do we have any questions? Hi Ray, I'm Kev. Hello. Um, I think we've actually spoken before. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in just knowing on the other side of the coin about the investor. Any sort of wise tips from an expert like you? You're just
1: that everyone knows looking at you with a different eye. Yeah. <laughs> I They're haven't going, got Ooh. a billions, <laughs> especially the ladies. <laughs> um, so. Let's rephrase your question sorry i'm being yeah, sorry well
0: you got um you say podcasts i know yeah how to raise money okay if you were doing one or you're going to do one that would be like how to invest money properly or wisely yes the sort of tips or things all right that you'd okay. go through with okay. contracts? um
1: thank you kevin you've clearly not listened to our podcast because there, <laughs> there are some episodes in there there's a couple of episodes on investing but yes we're doing a, a series actually aimed at investors so uh, whilst the, the whole podcast series probably looks a bit haphazard and hasn't been thought out, there is a bit of planning gone into it. We've got a number of podcasts covering, uh, covering specific topics. So there's one now, uh, the, the ones next up are covering pitching and asking for the money. And then there's another series that are coming up that are going to be specifically aimed at angel investors and investors. And here's, here's what you do and here's where you go and so on. There is a, a website called uh, becomeanangel.com. And BecomeanAngel.com will basically show you uh, where you can attend or lenders can attend angel masterclasses. So this could be important to you if you find someone that's got a bit of money and they, you know, th- there will be people out there that say, look, I've got a hundred thousand, I don't really know what I'm doing. Then a good, a good bit of advice is to point them in the direction of angel masterclasses. Now, we used to call them angel training, but they wouldn't turn up. As soon as we called it a masterclass, they were all there. And what a masterclass is, is it's made up of probably 30 people in a room that are angel investors. Some of them are quite prolific and some of them are first timers. And the masterclass might be around the subject of enterprise investment scheme or investing in property or doing due diligence or any number of subjects. And the aim is to educate angel investors in the changes in the law and what's happening, but also New investors that come in get a chance to speak to people that, have, that are further down the road than they are. And it usually involves a presentation by a, an accountant, a lawyer, and a specific subject, and then a couple of angels get up and talk about their wins and their failures. They talk about their successes, and they also talk about what went wrong. But they'll always say, this went wrong, but here's what I learned. And then they will do Q&A in the room, and first-time investors get to ask them questions as well. So that's a good route to go down. And most of that is done in London. So if you go to, for example, angelsden.com, events, you'll see Angel Masterclasses in there. London Angel Club have events. Angel Networks have events. And the events are nearly always around investors learning more. So we'll be doing a series on that and getting a few people in to do on that. All right. Does that answer the question, Kevin? Yeah, Thank you. OK. Hello. Hi. Hi, Ray. Hello.
0: So for, for those of us starting off, it just makes sense to um, start off thinking about rent to SA rather than looking to finance a, a buy for SA purposes, just to get the old SA idea under, under, under your belt. Is uh, it easier to start off just rent?
1: I'm not sure about that. Can you rephrase the question? Are you saying is it easier to do a rent to rent or buy? That, so so I think
0: um, just because I've been speaking to Sav um, oh, right, okay. in terms of there could be raising money to do rent to SA because there's still an outlay for yeah. that. There's still um, deposits and rent and furniture costs and all of those things. Yeah. And then also, what about doing rent to SA, building up your track record because you're operating through a limited company and then yeah. are the banks more willing to lend as a result of that?
1: Uh, yes. If you do need money, small amounts of money, that's a good way to start. I mean, angel investors will... Uh, or, or you can get. There are companies out there that will do up to 150,000 unsecured. I mean, you can get 20 or 30 grand unsecured pretty quickly if you have a trade. Well, a trading business, if you're starting a business, for example, um, there's even a government loan scheme to help you start a business. And if you submit a business plan to them and tell them what it is you want to do, uh, and again, I've got links to all of this on, on my various websites, and declare an interest here. I think if you click on that link and they and they give you a loan, they pay me 50 quid or something. Um, but it's it's really there to, to let people know about it rather than to, to make money out of it. Um, but they will lend money up to 25,000 pounds at 6%. And then there are other companies out there um, who contacted me, contact me all the time. And in fact, I think I even got a letter this morning from one such company because they get in touch with me all the time. Yeah, ten to 150,000 unsecured business loans, one to five years, rates as low as 3.84, no early repayment, rapid decision. I mean, I get these things all the time, you know, that that keep coming in. So that may be a useful source because you're building up your credit rating if you you want as well. If you go to private individuals, you can go to private individuals, borrow maybe 20,000 to do the furniture, for example. And then when you pay them back, you're starting to build up a bit of a, you know, a bit of a track record with them. That's a good way to go. Uh, but you can get furniture on leasing. You know, I mean, we're we're doing this. That's thirty six rooms. Uh, I think it's eighty four thousand pounds in furniture and fittings, which is going to cost us three three and a half thousand a month. So we're not outlaying that eighty four thousand. We didn't need. To, you know, there's no point in borrowing that when you can get it on leasing. And there's a few companies that do that, aren't there? I'm sure you've identified a few of them. I don't know who we're using. Can't remember. Anyway, there are companies out there that do that, where they'll they'll fund. Basically, what they've said is if you take a building up and shake it, anything that falls out, they can fund. So all the furniture, all the bits and pieces and all this, that, so that's all coming. And then they, the stagers come and do it for you. So when we're finished with this, we've got property stagers coming in, van loads of stuff, they'll furnish everything. They did this for me in that flat in Edinburgh. They came along, they put the beds out, the curtains up, the pillows, knives and forks, spoons. You know, it was ready to walk in. They got the keys at 9 a.m. by 3 in the afternoon. It was ready to, to rent out. And they took all the all the rubbish away and everything. And I think for a four-bedroom flat, that was £2,300, something like that. Yeah, something like that from memory. Don't quote me, but I could find out. So, you know, there's, there's lots of ways of doing it. But to do rent-to-rent is good in the sense that you're not exposing yourself to too much Borrowing and debt, and and if that's an issue for you, then you you know it's it's not one you have to confront, and it, yeah, it can build up your track record. I mean, our track record in SA is pretty much zero. We're bringing in a company to do it all. You know, I'm not doing it myself. But if we're doing one to one, you've got the option in Edinburgh. There's a thing called uh, Air Sorted. You heard of them? You know, you can just say, "Look, there's the keys, and they go and do it all for you." So you've got that option as well to, to be truly hands off. I mean, we did one in Edinburgh that uh, my wife did, and she did the service accommodation course, and she did the whole thing, and and all this of it. But after a short period of time, she sort of went, sod this, let's just just get someone else to do it. So there's lots of options. But you're in the right place to find out which one is best for you, and you're speaking to the right guy, Kevin. Okay, last five minutes. No, okay.
0: I think we're good. So um, thank you very much, Ray. Um, Round of applause for Ray, thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome.
0: And so, Ray, if anyone does just finally want to contact you, um, website, um, social media um, for for future
1: contact. Yep, raisingangelfinance.co.uk forward slash application. That's it. <laughs> I think uh, Hopefully we are clear on that. Raisingangelfinance.co.uk application. <laughs> yes, you'll see me. I'm on I'm on social media. Um, I'm in Facebook. I'm on Twitter at, at Ray underscore McLennan. I'm on Instagram. I'm on all these things. And did I mention the podcast? Yep, I did. All the contact details in the podcast. Okay, excellent. Thank you. So thank you very much, Ray.
0: Um, Hopefully everyone enjoyed that. And here's to your success in serviced accommodation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. If you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast, please message Kevin via his Facebook page, Property Soldier.